expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. You have descended upon episode 165 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Nick, 165 episodes, and things just keep getting bigger and bigger. Well, speaking of bigger and bigger, tell the listeners what we're going to be doing in July, James. Well, here's the deal. You know what July is. You know that July is San Diego Comic-Con. Well, we will be covering San Diego Comic-Con. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you guys cover... SDCC every year. No, 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 no. Boots on the ground, my fellow nerds. Yes, we will be at San Diego Comic-Con in 2017 this year. Yeah, man, it's going to be really, really awesome, and it's going to be really, really exciting. Now, here's the deal, though. Because of certain circumstances, I will not be able to attend San Diego Comic-Con, but I'm going to be in Virginia covering it as well while James is going to be out there and Nothing bad, don't worry about it. It's just one of those things where, let's just say that when it comes to travel, I don't have the the, the, the cash that, that James does. James, for, for those of you who don't know, James is like a real daddy warbucks. Yeah, so. you're going to make me sound like Scrooge McDuck diving in the pile of coins, which I think would hurt like a bitch, but well, no, I'd certainly be willing to try it. Instead of a pile of coins, it's just a pile of like Batman figures that you sold. They're like big no, condition. It's, no, it's just the capes. It's just, just the capes. capes. <laughs> That's why I have to keep them so soft. You know, you dive yeah. into the capes. You, can you imagine what it would be like diving into a like a, 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 a vault of, like, Batman figures? You get poked in the dick and in the eye with just the, the, the fucking ears and stuff like that? Yeah, I was going to say it depends on the figure and it depends on the <laughs> angle. Because the, the, don't forget the noise, the nose is pointy on some of those, too. You really can't... Uh, you're basically, what you're doing is you're falling into DC's version of the spike pit from Mortal Kombat. It's like stepping on Legos instead of you're jumping into a giant pile of them naked, and that's just a bad idea. <laughs> totally well, bad idea. Wait, wait, wait. I, I never said anything about being naked. I just said jumping into a fucking pile of Batman figures. Why wouldn't you be? You're a fucking freak, you know that? <laughs> This is going off the rails. I'm the Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia alongside. And I'm James Witham. Yeah, man, we're going to be at SDCC conquering it on two fronts, on two coasts. So we'll be able to do probably even more than we've even done in years past to just get absolutely everything covered for you. Whew, you thought your feet were sore at, at AwesomeCon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hashtag no sleep. That's yeah, pretty much. pretty much what I'm expecting out there. I mean, it's it, going to be a good time. It, it, here's the thing. It's like... Watch, I don't go to the to SDCC, and for people who haven't listened to our AwesomeCon show, we, we talked about how we went to a, a party at AwesomeCon, and James was like Strickland, just standing in the corner, arms crossed, kind of like a fucking chaperone, basically. And, and uh, I mean, that's what you were, man. You were like, you were a, you know what you were? You were that chaperone at, like, my middle school dances who, like, tried to separate the guys from the girls from, from like grinding and stuff like that. that. You that, is, that guy. I was, I was just a, a hair short of that. I think you're, that's the only thing I didn't do. <laughs> I mean, you're like, you're kind of, you're like the creeper in the corner. Basically. I actually was able to find a nice little corner. So it was, it was very nice. <laughs> Table was nice level. Got to do a nice lean. <laughs> It's not creepy at all. Could, couldn't get couldn't get to any beverage at all because the place is so packed. Couldn't get 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 up to the bar or anything. But hey, it was it was a fun time. Yeah, it's the thing. I'm I'm talking to to girls and you're like, who's that guy in the corner with the with the uh, X Men shirt on? I don't know why. Well, he's looking at me. He's fucking creepy. <laughs> and then there was the guy that shot bubbles off the balcony. Let's. Hey, that was fun. <laughs> that, 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 that was fun, man. But again, SCC is going to be awesome, and it's going to be one of those things, man. Where again, you find like all these parties. Also, I find out you're going to be like, oh yeah, I went to this party, and I like partied my ass off, and I went to this and this. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. And my wife would be like, huh? Who is this right? guy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but no, it's gonna be fun, man. I can't, I can't wait to see what you're gonna be doing out there. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be, I know, a great time for uh, all of our 
our listeners and stuff like that. But come up next, we have two new comics we're going to discuss. That's what we're reading is coming your way. This is Warren Simons, the editor-in-chief of Valiant Comics, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's that time of the week where we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week in James. You know, Wonder Woman's coming out this week, and you decide, hey, the annual is out, and you were going to read it, and you're going to review it this week on the show. Yeah, we decided to do the pages of Wonder Woman this week, which, of course, Wonder Woman annual number one, of course, 2017, because there's been other number one annuals from Wonder Woman before. Now, I will say this. There is a ton of great writers and artists involved in this book because there's like four or five stories in here. Of course, Greg Rock and Nicholas Scott are a part of this. You've got uh, our buddies Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly did a story in here. There was one in here that was really, really good, actually. It was, and it was actually exactly literally what the, what the title says, In Defense of Truth and Justice was the name of the story. It was done by Vita Ayala and uh, Claire Rowe. actually did the art. There's just so many stories in here, but all of them kind of subscribe to one specific thing and that's just how good and pure Wonder Woman is and how much uh, you know one, in one instance they show how much of a warrior she is and another instance it's like the whole there's always another way to solve it you don't need to do this you don't need to violence isn't always the answer kind of thing and there's a the story that uh, Rucka and Nicola do uh, in the beginning of the book, it's like her meeting Batman and Superman for the first time. So it was a cool little dynamic there. And uh, actually, there, there's some a couple of there's one particular interesting villain in here, and it was in that in Truth and Justice story. I was like, huh, I didn't expect to see that villain in there. So that was really neat. But I will say that the the art throughout, even though it's different and it's broken up into different artists. The art throughout is really, really gorgeous. There's another one uh, that's the, the Curse the curse and the Honor, which is done by the Stephanie Hans does the art for that one. And it's this snowscape in the Orient. It's just freaking gorgeous. And there's a battle in that story that's just, just absolutely amazing. It actually reminds me of uh, Ray Fox's art a lot. Okay. Which, which I love, and I love that art style too. It reminds me really a, a lot of that. So I like that you know, because we're getting in that transitional period with the Wonder Woman comic. I mean, Shea is getting ready to take over, so we're getting some other people's perspectives on the character, and we're getting, you know, other stories that we wouldn't have gotten before. And these are very much, you know, bottled stories where each story is, is different. Even the costume's different in a lot of the different stories, too, like the one that uh, Colin and Jackson write. The, the costume's a little different. But each has a message and shows how Diana just helps everybody in different ways and, and in different methods. It's just really, really cool, you know? Oh, exactly. Especially because, you know, I love that they released this just before the release of the movie because this is kind of like, even though it's not the whole, you know, 70 plus year, 75 year history of Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, you're getting, you know, a good amount of store, different stories in here. So, whether you're new to the character or you're, you love the character, you want to just read something new and exciting before going to see the movie itself, you can sit down with this book, this annual, you know, and just read all these different stories and get different ideas and just, as you said, different uh, kind of concepts of just who Diana is as a person, somebody who helps people. So, you know, I, you know me. I've said this on the show a lot of times. I'm not really a big reader of annuals because it's a lot of different stories and it's just – you know, I like kind of linear storytelling in terms of, you know, how books go. But I got to tell you, I've, these DC annuals lately, since Rebirth started, I've been reading those. They've been really, really well done. Yeah, and I think what this will help you do is it'll really help you if you're not too familiar with Wonder Woman. This will definitely give you a nice perspective on the character going into seeing the movie. If you're not like, like maybe you're aware of Wonder Woman, you've seen her in other things, like or maybe you've read her in Justice League comics or you know this the Superman Wonder Woman runs and stuff like that that DC's had. But if you're not familiar with who the character of Wonder Woman really is, this annual gives you a nice a nice broad spectrum of all the things that Wonder Woman is about and Wonder Woman believes and stuff like that. So I think that that's one of the reasons that it's so important. And, I mean, speaking of annuals, before we, we, we move on, to, I just need to say that the Teen Titans, that the Titans annual that wraps up the Lazarus contact, contract was friggin' awesome. But, you know, back to this book. It's one of those books that, if you're a Wonder Woman fan, you want this because it's going to make you feel good, honestly. It's one of those feel-good books. If you already love Wonder Woman, you already love Diana, you're going to get plenty of that. I mean, there's, there's, there's actually... 
the lasso of truth has a nice little there's a nice little quick story about that when she meets uh, Batman and Superman for the first time so I thought that, that was really cool and just some of the things she does and, and encounters in this book it's a, it's a feel good book for me so pick this one up for sure all right, well, James, you know, we're going from the world of Themyscira to the world of Westeros, of course, and King's Landing and all those great areas known of Game of Thrones. I know you're a fan. I'm a huge fan. we got the new season coming up of Game of Thrones, which we're both excited about. And so I decided to say, you know what? I want to read a Game of Thrones comic. Well, luckily, Dynamite has come out with their Game of Thrones comic. Of course, it's called A Clash of Kings. And based on the novel by George R.R. R. Martin, it's adapted by Landry Q. Walker. Art is done by Mel Ruby. Colors are done by Omi Remolante Jr. And letters are done by Simon Boland. Now, I will say this right off the bat. If you are somebody who has watched the show, and even if you're somebody who has read the books, this is not different than the book or the show. Again, it's more of a, it's just a straight adaptation of of the books themselves. This is, of course, an adaptation of book two of A Song of Ice and Fire. And where you're wondering, well, where does this pick up? You know, if you haven't read the books, where in the show does this pick up? This picks up around the time where Crescent dies. And this is in season two, like midway through season two, towards the later end of season two, when, when Crescent dies, when he's trying to poison the red woman. And, of course, he puts the, the thing in the, in the wine and he has a you know, bleeding out and, and poisoning on the floor and stuff like that, which is not a spoiler because we're already like six seasons into these shows. So if you haven't read, watched Game of Thrones by then, it's your fault. But overall, this is a book where it's, a, again, it's a straight adaptation, nothing new. Like literally when you watch the scene of Crescent's death and you read this book, the words are the exact same. There's no differentiation in this. The art is all right. It's 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 not. I mean, it's it's good, but it's not the best. There are times where people are trying to shake their like one person's shaking his head, but it looks like he has two heads. Like it's stretching like a, like clay. Mm. You know, they, they can't even get the motion down right. Uh, then you have uh, you know this other cu- couple other characters where it's like a medium shot of them and. They're just, they don't look the right. They look too different in different angles. Uh, Crescent looks totally different than he does in the in the show, and, and I'll say that too. Party was kind of confused a little bit because uh, you see Davos in here, and Davos looks 100% different than he does in the show. What? So I'm like, wait. Yeah, so Party was kind of like, wait a minute. Is this, you know, I know it's a prologue, but I'm like, wait a minute. Is this like, even I know it's book two of A Song of Ice and Fire, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this like, before the show happens is this like a flashback yeah because you know in the show davos has like a huge beard and it's gray right. and like that and here he's got like a abe lincoln-esque beard that's a little weird too and and when you're talking about the art when you when it's a direct adaptation like that like they kind of when marvel did that for rogue one and force awakens and stuff like that you kind of expect the art if it's going to be a direct adaptation like that to kind of be a little bit even more over the top since that's that's supposed to be the kicker for having the comic is to make the art so good that it makes you want to reread it. So it's a little bit of a bummer to hear that the art's not uh, doesn't really pop off. I mean, I'll say this: in certain panels, it's really good, and it's more because of the lighting and the colors and the kind of the shading where you're getting that kind of like you're getting kind of that sunset, with, which when it hits the certain the clothing, it kind of gives that more detailed look. Right, right. But with this, it's it's kind of one of those things where like. Again, I'm somebody who I haven't read the books. I've I've watched the show. I'm all caught up on the show. If you're somebody who loves the show and just wants to read the books, but you still want pictures, I would say you get the book. Um, But if you're somebody who, like me, with me it's tough. If I've watched the show, I won't go back and read the books because it's it's once I already have that. As well, because like once you already have that visual. Not to say visual A, but it's that visualization of the world, like what it looks like. There's not a lot for your imagination to mm. to go to when it comes to reading a book, especially one that doesn't have pictures in it, like a comic does. Uh, it's not again it, the story. It's exact same thing as the show and in the book. It's it's a pull. It's a straight up pull from that in terms of the literature and the wording. And I know I just said you know I didn't I haven't read the books, but the thing is is I've known people that read the books, and I've talked to a friend about this before we recorded, and he's like, oh yeah. It's exactly how it happens in the books, word for word, and stuff like that. So I, this isn't a drop because 
it's a, it's just an adaptation. It's not to my liking. I'll just say it's a pickup because again, if you're somebody who if you're such a diehard Game of Thrones fan, you're like, you know, I, I have all the books, I have all the DVDs, I, I want the comics. Go get the comics from Dynamite because I mean, again, it, it, it picks up in book two, so you know what's going to happen. It's not a spoiler. I will say this though: when people do die, it's not like I knew. I knew that the, the death was coming at the end. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like when you see it compared to on television, it kind of loses that luster for me. But it's a pickup. It's not. It's not. It's not that the book is bad. It's just that you know when you see something on TV is is like Game of Thrones and. You know, it's just an adaptation. That's all it is. It's nothing more, nothing less than just a straight-up adaptation. Yeah, and if you're a fan of adaptations, hey, maybe this for you. This is for you, but if not, you know, maybe not. Yeah, man, exactly. And, of course, that's going to do it for our reviews this week. But coming up next, we're diving back into the City of Angels. Also, we're going to be diving back into Hell itself. We're going to be reviewing the finale of Fox's Lucifer. Stay tuned. It's coming up next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hey everyone, this is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, welcome to hell, because we are diving into the season two finale of Lucifer on Fox. Spoilers ahead, because man, Nick, was this another amazing finale from Joe Henderson and the group. You know, I love spending time in hell. I really, really do. It's a lot of fun, especially because the show is part of it, and yeah, man, I mean, I got to say this. The Lucifer Writer's Room is probably one of my favorite writer's rooms in all of television. No doubt. Easily one of the best. And the reason for that is because they know how to write emotion. It's like we had Joe Henderson on before the start of season one a while ago. You know, he's talking about how you know, we got writers that do crime dramas. We got writers that do comedy. You got, you know, just a nice melting pot of different specialties. And it really shows because, for example, you get the ending of Lucifer's mom leaving kind of emotional scene between mother and son. But what do you get before that? You get a fucking awesome improv scene with Amenadiel and, and, and Kevin Alejandro. Man. Ugh, D.B. Woodside. What an episode for D.B. Woodside. Saving the day for the doctor there and oh my redeeming himself oh, with maze the feels the fucking feels i mean just the fact that he even tried he's been so down this season amenadiel's been so down about everything going on with his mom and his dad and you know he's not the favorite kind of thing he's lost his powers his wings everything and then this one shining moment at the end of this episode he just says you know what screw this i'm gonna try it i need to see if I can get my powers to work this one time and he does it and saves the day, bravo to that performance from D.B. Woodside. And like you said, let's factor that in with the whole improv thing, which was hilarious, by the way, with Kevin Alejandro. So just the range that D.B. had in this episode, I'm like, that's my man right there. That but is I like, awesome. But the improv scene, what made it work is how they framed it because, you know, Amenadiel is... is you know, the way that the camera's above him, and it's like he's giving, he's in a confessional. That's where I thought he was. I'm like, oh, he's got to be like in some sort of church, like a confessional or something, confessing, you know, and, and stuff like that. And then you find out, like, he's in an improv group, and then, like, <laughs> Dan comes over to him, just like, yeah, there's just some things you don't talk about politics, religion. <laughs> he's like, a little too intense. Let's little try it again next time. <laughs> a little, little too dark, a little too intense. But, I mean, this season was just an amazing season because the whole thing with 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 their mom coming you know escaping hell you're like okay what kind of havoc is she gonna cause and trisha helper man she did a great job because it's just one of those things where i i love this season because i love characters where you don't know where their true intentions are mm-hmm. where at first you think okay charlotte you know mom she's got this kind of like Lucifer rat and Amendil wrapped around her finger. She's got some sort of evil intent. And then towards the last three episodes, you see, oh, she's really an innocent person. All she really wants is to be in heaven with her family. That's all she's ever wanted. Yep. And and just the way that they portrayed her in this finale and, and even the uh, episode before that. You know, it was really amazing how they've built this in a whole, you know, she's leaking light kind of thing. And when she burned that dude's face off in the last episode, I'm like, well, that's going to cause some problems. And then that led to the final case 
of the season and, and, you know, Lucifer trying to, again, protect Chloe and everything, but yet at the same time trying to do with his mom and the way that they ended that whole thing. Let me just say this and another brilliant move by the writers and by Joe Henderson was that it was another one of those instances where, yeah, there could have been this epic throwdown battle between the sons and the mother, right? Or just Lucifer and his mother, but no, no, no. He's got the flaming sword and you think, okay, He's going to slash at her and it's going to be on. No, no. He slashes a hole in the fabric of reality and gives her the opportunity to create her own world. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, that is such a brilliant way to end this. So just bravo to to the team for taking that left turn and saying, no, no, we're not going to give you what we see a lot on TV and in movies. No, we're going to give you something a little different. And that, I thought, I don't know about how you felt, but that made it more emotional for me. It did because it was kind of one of those things where like, okay, we probably weren't like couldn't get her into heaven, but this is the next best thing. And as you said, have her create her own world, her own universe, whatever. It's like let her be kind of like that godly figure, you know, in her own space and time. It's kind of like it's just I think Lucifer coming kind of coming to terms and I think doing what's best for all parties. And and what I loved about this too is speaking of, of you know his mom Charlotte. What I loved was the last interaction her and Dan had because Dan, you know, his whole time he's kind of like, Jesus, you know, this woman's just coming to sleep with me and that's yep. pretty much it. And it's trying to get, you know, use me to get information and stuff like that by sleeping with me. And then he has that moment with her where he's like, oh, you fell off the pier. And he's like, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And she goes, who are you? Yeah. And then you see the look on his face. And again, just brilliant acting by Kevin Alejandro. And you just see that. That kind of that that moment where, you know how like it's kind of like you accept something for how good it is, you want it, and then as soon as you see what you have in front of you, it's gone. And he has that look of like, I was too late kind of a thing, you know? That is the microcosm of Lucifer and Chloe's relationship right there, too. You just, Every time you think, okay, this is going to be it. And this happened earlier in the season, too. This isn't even the first time this season. Where Lucifer's like, all right, I'm ready. This is going to happen. We're going to do this. Or even Chloe says, all right, I've, I've realized the, the, how I feel about him. We're going to do this. And what happens? It always gets taken away from them at the moment that they know they're the, they're the most ready for it. And that happens again at the end of this show. Yeah, he's of course, calls Chloe. And he's like, I'm ready to let you know the truth and why, you know, Amenadiel, my brother, is so saintly and why Maze is not, <laughs> you know, and I'm so dashing and charming. And 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 as soon as you he gets that, and I like that too because in the show, of course, you you know, Linda knows who Lucifer and Amenadiel and their mom are. Like, everybody knows, you know, at least in their certain yeah, circle of people. Knows, yeah. You know, and then he's like, he's finally about to tell Chloe. He finally get that reveal. Then what happens? He gets knocked out and he gets set and dropped in the desert. And But from there, it's where things really get interesting. Yeah, because guess who's got their wings back, people? That was a big shocking moment for me. I mean, I get the whole, he gets knocked in the head, dragged in the desert. There's got to be a reason that he ended up there. But then when the camera pans out, actually pans up, well done. To for the directing on that too, by the way. Camera pans up. And then the white wings spread. I'm like, oh my god. He got his wings back. How did that happen? Now, here's the question. This is what I was thinking about when I saw him have his wings. Is it his dad? Kind of as like a thank you? Because remember, his dad bailed him out at the end of season one. Yep. And then, is it kind of like his dad saying, okay... You know, you, you you didn't send your mother to heaven, so here's kind of like your gift, kind of like you gave your mother happiness Yeah, here's your redemption kind of thing. Right. By the or way, was it... thanks for not having her kill me, and by the way, you also did right by your mother, so very good son, I'm going to give you these back. Well, remember too, remember the episode where God does take over that guy's body in the psych ward, and so him and, and Charlotte are having that kind of like first date kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of like, huh, is that kind of thing like where, like, is that, is that, is that it too? Is it because like Lucifer got his parents together for that one small moment? So again, is it kind of like a thank you? Is it one of his, whether it's his mom for saying thank you for letting me have my own universe or God doing whatever? 
it's like Lucifer had to have done something to appease and and, and make somebody like him enough to to give him him his wings back. Especially after he burned him on the beach, basically. Right, exactly. And then you also have to wonder: Is this a good thing? Yeah, maybe it's not because there are there are other things that go along with this now. So is this going to end up? Be, is this really a thank you, or is it another punishment? We don't know because we don't know the circumstances surrounding him getting his wings back. But I have a theory as to who hit him in the head and dragged him out there. Let, him, let the people know. I think it's Gabriel. Yeah. Anybody that reads the Lucifer comics with me on that? Gabriel has not shown up on the show yet. Kind of a big figure in the comics over the years and, and even in the recent run that Vertigo's had. We haven't seen Gabriel on the show yet. And I think that, uh, it, it, you know, you, you kind of ask yourself, okay, where do you go from here? If you're, if you're Lucifer, where does the story go from here? I think bringing Gabriel in now makes perfect sense. I, I can see Gabriel coming in, and here's what I think is going to happen in season three. I think because Lucifer has his wings back, I think he might be – God might be sa- saying, okay, I got your wings back, but now you got to come back to heaven. You got to leave Earth. So and maybe we go he's back send- to the whole season one thing where Amenadiel comes down to bring him to back to hell, but instead now it's like, okay, I've accepted you. You can come to heaven kind of thing. Is that where you're going? Yeah. Okay. And, and, right. and maybe and maybe it might be a thing where Lucifer doesn't want to go because of Chloe. Or maybe, even though Mendel got his powers back, maybe it's a reversal now. Maybe Lucifer <laughs> is going to go up and Amendiel is going to be banished oh, to hell. Oh, that would be great. That because would be great. here's the thing. Even though, because here's the thing. This whole brotherly love thing between Amendiel and Lucifer is, you know, been going on for a while. I think there's going to be a point where something's going to fissure that again. Well, we started to kind of see that, didn't we, with them with with the whole "you were the chosen son" thing, and it looked like they were going to start to be adversaries again. And when Amenadiel says, "I need to be the person that Father sent me here to be. I need to be his soldier again," so it almost like Amenadiel was slipping back into that a little bit, and then everything got turned on its head with trying to help Mom not burst into light and kill everyone. So I think you're right. I think we could start to see that fissure. And what happens? How long has Lucifer been gone? Is he going to be able to find his way back? All of these things are going to play a factor now. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just another great season for Lucifer. And I got to tell you, man, Fox has been hitting it out of the park with their programming. Gotham was great. Lucifer is just another terrific season. You cannot wait to see season three in the fall. It's going to be really, really epic. Yeah, man, I cannot wait for season three. And it doesn't even matter what they decide to do because the writing's been so good. The show's been so consistently good over two full seasons. Just give me more. That's all I really want. Give me more. And by the way, Trick, there needs to be a Dr. Trixie spinoff show. Yes, let's do that. Even as a web series, let's do that. <laughs> That's going to do it for our review of season two of Lucifer. But coming up next, we're going to be diving into some nerd news. Stay tuned and find out what we're going to be discussing this week. Hi, I'm Court Lane, VP of Animation Development at Marvel, and I'm listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time to open up the Warner Brothers Water Tower because it's time for... Nerd News! I think one of the stories that had me the most excited because I'm a huge, huge fan of this show, of course, Animaniacs, ran for 99 episodes from 93 to 95, and guess what? It is coming back 20 around 20 years later man and i i am pumped for this and it's funny because you you kind of say well everything's coming back now but this is one of those ones where i looked at it and i was like i don't know if this one will ever come back and not only is it coming back steven spielberg's attached again yeah man amblin entertainment is attached to this now it is an early development there we don't know where it's going to be put but my guess is you have the look of Okay, the show itself, the original show is on Netflix. All the episodes you can stream on Netflix. Uh, my guess is with Castlevania, with Voltron, and with Animaniacs on there, Netflix has shown to have this sort of uh, commitment to 2D animation. And I think that makes Warner Brothers and Amblin very happy. It makes the decision a lot easier for them on where to put this show. Yeah, I think so, too. And the fact that, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there is that Netflix has gotten a commitment to 2D animation that 
you know, not a whole lot of other networks or providers have right now. So it does seem like a marriage that would work out pretty well. And I mean, why not do it on Netflix? You get a lot of eyeballs on there. You get all the episodes released at once. So you get the binge watching factor, which creates a lot of news. I mean, how many times have we seen stories come out about such and such show, the most watched Netflix show ever and stuff like that because of the binge watching now? So I think you're right. Let's do that. Yeah, man. And of course, here's the big thing, too, for me is I'm wondering how many episodes they're going to do. I mean, I know if it goes to Netflix, say it goes to Netflix, normally their thing is about 12 to 13. So are they going to probably do a full 13 or do you think they're going to do more of like a 10 episode thing? I'm thinking 10 right now. I think what I saw somewhere that Castlevania is like four. So that was a little weird. But uh, I think in, in other respects, yeah, most, most of the times it's 10 to 13. I'm thinking 10 now because I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to do the whole let's see how it goes kind of thing because Netflix is doing something that they haven't done in a while. They're starting to cancel shows, which you don't see a lot from Netflix. So maybe they're going to do a let's see how popular this really is kind of thing. But I think 90s cartoons right now are the things that you kind of need to look at because that age group's starting to get a little bit older. You know, they're starting to get a little bit more money. You think they've got enough money for a Netflix subscription at least. So those are the that's the age group that's binge-watching stuff right now. But I still think they might dip their toe in the water a little bit just to see how things go. Give it 10 episodes, and then if it goes gangbusters, you just ratchet it up to 13 or however many they want to do after the fact. And I know you probably did, you know, you're older than me, so obviously you probably didn't watch a lot of animatics growing up. But I think some of my favorite characters I'm happy to see again. Of course, you have the, you know, you have the, you know, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. But you know, you have Pranky in the Brain. But I'm excited to see, hopefully, to see if they bring back it was Mindy and Buttons because it's just every time, man, I, I she almost made me become that kid where you go into an elevator and you or you just see a button. And then somebody was pushing, like, no, no, I pushed the button. And that's and so I, I was that kid growing up, basically. Uh, I'm also excited to see, hopefully they bring them back as the, the pigeons, because the pigeons were hilarious. You had the god pigeon there, who was basically Marlon Brando. And it was just, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was kind of like Warner Brothers animated version of the Godfather, if you will, kind but with of, pigeons. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it was great, man. I, I'm excited for this to come back, and again, we'll see where it goes. My guess, of course, I think your guess as well, is on Netflix, because again, you have that commitment to 2D animation. I think that's something we talked about a while back, of just like, where is this commitment? You know, everybody's going to 3D animation, especially when it comes to movies. You still have stop motion, which is still a thing, but only like a couple studios really are in that realm of, of wanting to do stop motion animation. So it's kind of like it's it's for me growing up. I know for you growing up in that kind of boomerang era, if you will, of where everything was mostly 2D. And I mean, I think the first real big animated thing that was like wow was of course you know Beast Wars and Toy Story, of course. But I think that for me, this is kind of like one of those times in in entertainment where I'm just breathing a huge sigh of relief, kind of like more of a thank you, if anything. I do want to give Cartoon Network a little bit of credit here, though, because they do right. have they do have Powerpuff Girls. The Justice League action is really good. That's 2D animation. Um, I mean, e- even Nickelodeon's kind of starting to get into it. My son loves that show, The Loud House. That's 2D animation. It almost feels like 2D animation's making a little bit of a comeback. I hope that's the case. I, I almost hope there's kind of a bidding war for this show, because I think that'll make it even better. I, I think if there's a bidding war, I think Netflix is just going to throw its well, yeah. big dick of cash down and just say, here. <laughs> but, that'll make, but but then therein lies their commitment, and that means they're going to have to really push it hard and make it what fans want, because why spend all that money just to throw it away, you know? Exactly. Well, speaking of money throwing away, I think we're going to have something with Warner Brothers soon where, you know, they have the Dark Universal, Universal and Warner Brothers is like, yeah, that might not be happening, at least in terms of Dark Universe for the name, because apparently they're getting ready to th- possibly throw down some money for lawyers and, uh, well, go to court over it. Yeah, in, this, in, in the uh, We Were There First news, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the Hollywood Reporter is saying that DC and Warner Brothers are kind of mulling the lawsuit against Universal for the Dark Universe name because we know, and this was reported first, we know this because you could even go back to our shows and know that it was reported first, that DC had the DC's Dark Universe name for their Justice League Dark adaptation first, so... 
I'm guessing they were smart enough to throw a copyright down on that name, but I'm also thinking Universal wouldn't be that careless to just give their universe that name without checking first. So it's, you know, I'm kind of looking at this with a, okay, I see where Warner Brothers is coming from. I could see why they'd want to do that. But at the same time, I'm thinking Universal couldn't be that sloppy, right? Not to look and check first. Yeah, and here's the thing. When we when Dark Universe, I know we talked about this last week on the show about it being revealed and who's playing whom and stuff like that. My kind of thing is like, why don't you just call it like the monster universe or whatever? Because that's what these are. Universal's known for their monsters. So just, you know, the more I think about it, especially after reading this article about the possible lawsuit happening, I'm kind of like, you know, why don't you guys just call it the monster universe or just whatever outside of Dark Universe? You know, it's just... Somebody, like, I, I would like to think, you know, I mean, for, for Christ's sakes, Universal has the Incredible Hulk rights, at least for distribution. Yeah, for now. <laughs> well, at least, well, 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 at least for distribution. Uh, so it's kind of like, you would expect at least one person there read comics and would say, hey guys, uh, DC kind of has this whole Dark Universe thing already, at least in terms of the name. But could you imagine if, if like, I know this won't happen, but can you imagine if, if DC was awarded like comp- had be awarded compensation, and part of it was the Hulk rights. <laughs> I we were talking about this the other day, and that would be funny. It's never going to happen, of course. <laughs> but to to think about how that could happen would be really. Don't forget that's what they have. Submariner too. We could finally get that Submariner I think so. versus Aquaman movie that nobody's <laughs> ever wanted, but might as well do. <laughs> I, I just want a scene where Hulk just goes Hulk Martha. <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> oh God, it's it'd be hilarious. It'd be it really so. Would. It'd be like a total like troll move, though, man. It it really would. But I, I know Warner Brothers won't do that. But I'm just when I look at this name, man, it, it's, and it's this possible thing. It's kind of like there are just other names you could have named it. I know you're gonna see the Mummy when it comes out, uh, the June 9th. And I'm, I'm kind of really waiting to see what your thoughts are on that because you're kind of been Mr. Oh, I think it's be really good. Except, of course, you talked about last week and you're like, oh, well, you know, my, I'm kind of a little bit worried, but I'm still having hope for it. So I'm really interested in seeing what your thoughts are on it. Well, I've kind of taken the approach of the first trailer wasn't good. The second trailer was good. And then you hear all this news and I'm like, oh, man, this could go a lot of different directions. But speaking of things that could go different directions, think about this for a second. There's one name that's tied to both Warner Brothers and possibly Universal because of this rumor now that Universal wants Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play the Wolfman. Well, guess who Dwayne The Rock Johnson's playing for DC? <laughs> Black Adam. So... Here's a, here's a question. Do you think... The Rock will ever drop the Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Like, do you think people will stop referring to him as Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Do you think it starts referring to him as Dwayne Johnson now? That'll never happen. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not, he's Dwayne The Rock Johnson for the rest of his life. He tried the whole Dwayne Dwayne Johnson thing, and it worked out pretty well for him because he's done well. But why run away from being Dwayne The Rock Johnson? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know why, why would you do that? I mean, one of the, one of the greatest... Guys on the mic, and he was good in the ring too. Why here's did you the, walk away from that? But here's the thing, though, with 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 him being possibly the Wolfman, like that's another big name. It's awesome. Of course, as you mentioned, he's already Black Adam, so he's already part of the Warner Brothers family. I'm kind of intrigued in like how would that work out? Like, what would a Wolfman with Dwayne Johnson look like? You know? Well, how would that work out? Maybe literally, because if there's a you know, to the death lawsuit going on, and he's signed up for both projects. He's literally in the middle between Universal and Warner Brothers because you're you're in one dark universe and you're in the DC extended universe for movies. So is he going to be the guy in the middle going, all right, guys, I've been a special guest referee before, so right. uh, let's try and work this thing out because uh, Dwayne needs to get paid. So... <laughs> Right, I'm just imagining them, him in court, like, JR's the, like, the, the stenographer or whatever, he's, he's doing play-by-play. Oh my god, King, Rock, Rock just hit him with the objection! Oh my god, damn it! Damn it, no! Damn it, King, that studio has stockholders! <laughs> sidebar! 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh 
I never oh. thought we'd have legal humor on this show. That's oh, great. Oh, oh that's <laughs> But like here's the thing. So you have like a if you say for instance he does get cast in Wolfman, I if he's gonna be the actual Wolfman, I kinda have a problem with that because the thing is as someone who's been just a fan of just these monster movies in general, I feel that characters like Wolfman work best when the person is to you just use us as an example, looks like us in terms of body, like when they're just yeah. average or just not, you know, or they're skinny, you know, when, you know, when it's kind of like this, when you, when you have the, the, this guy or, or whomever that is kind of not jacked, that is average, that is just a regular typical person, I guess you could say in terms of body size, it makes the tragedy of being the wolf man so much more, intense and so much more in a sense depressing in terms of making you really feel for this person feel for that kind of curse that's been put on him you know i mean think about that movie wolf with jack nicholson oh yeah you know jack nicholson wasn't ripped okay that worked out i mean there were there were certain things about people that have been the wolfman in the past that worked out so i i agree that this might be a little weird and you know that once he makes his transformation it's going to be CG anyway. So... Right, right. I mean, you look at well, you look at like people who were, you know, werewolves in, you know, as you said, you know, uh, Amer- American Werewolf in London, American Werewolf in Paris, uh, you know, the Howling. You know, you, those people weren't really ripped. They weren't jacked. You know, they weren't like hitting the weight room, tw- you know, twenty times a day. They were around average. They, you know. D- decent build people and that's what i think makes the again it makes the the idea of the transformation just so that's the thing too is that you're transforming this big hulking thing and it's big hulking things come out of this little body and it just makes it even more <laughs> you, you go know, from big painful. hulking thing to bigger hulking thing right so. <laughs> <laughs> right you know it's, <laughs> yeah it's kind of like you know cell going from cell the perfect cell it's like okay you're still this big fucking thing it's just yeah <laughs> you know yeah. you don't a bug really anymore although to be honest when i think wolfman and i know he's been in one of the wolfman movies before but when honestly when when somebody says wolfman to me the first name that pops into my head for some reason is benicio del toro well because that was the most recent but but he just it, we're talking about the look yeah he has the look that you kind of think you'd get from a wolfman type movie or persona don't you think i mean to me when i, I that's the kind of person that i think of when i think wolfman i don't think about a jacked wrestler that was just in the baywatch movie well you know what you don't think of when you think of wolfman you don't think of action star no and you that's, don't because that's not what i want it to be yeah and if i don't think that's what anybody wants it to be like the wolfman the thing about these monster movies that they work so well is that the these monster movies for the most part they're based in suspense and horror, but really, if anything, they're a character drama, and that's what, and, and they're an intense character drama, and that's why I think makes them so wonderful to watch when you go back and watch these as well, because they're pretty much like they're they're tragedies in a sense, some of them. Yeah, and the Hammer films prove that too, and the Hammer comics that are so. out are proving that as well. So, it's it's th- this is going to be very interesting because we kind of see how it could be done, and now let's see how it's going to be done in a modern movie world. It'll be interesting. And speaking of a modern movie world, of course, Wonder Woman opens up this week. Of course, it is the, I would say, one of, if not the most highly anticipated movies, at least especially for a DC movie, in a long time. And we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman, just her history, the comics, the movies, the animated films, everything. We're talking about that and more coming up as our Wonder Woman special rolls on. Hi, everyone. This is artist Nicholas Scott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you could make the argument that this is one of the biggest movie openings ever because we've been waiting since 1941 to see her on the big screen. And I'm not counting Batman versus Superman. I'm talking her own movie. It's Diana Prince. Wonder Woman is finally here. And Nick, we decided this week to kind of go away a little bit from our normal fo- format to highlight a character that absolutely positively deserves it. Well, not only deserves it, but you talked about how this is. I talked about how you know it's one of the most highly anticipated films. I would say this: I got to see it at an early screening on Tuesday, and it is one of, if not the most important comic book film. I think 
at least I'm not going to speak for a lot of people, but I think that I have watched. In terms of who directed, of course, Patty Jenkins, you have your first female director directing a major blockbuster film, especially one like Wonder Woman, comic book realm, especially, you know, everybody and how famous she is, just the whole mythos and everything that goes with it. And just in general, just how important it is. And I will say this, I'm not going to dive into the movie because we're going to save that for next week because James is taking his wife to see it opening weekend. So... And we Here's want to be able thing. to do spoilers and stuff like right, that. Right, exactly. Week, yeah. We don't. We, yeah, we don't want to ruin the movie for anybody. We want to basically just be able to freely talk about this movie as much as possible. So that's going to be held to next week. But I will just say this: leaving the theater, or even going into the theater, we were in. I was in line waiting to see this movie. Just the the people that came in. I had a Wonder Woman shirt on, but just seeing people of. All ages, women, men, wearing Wonder Woman shirts and just talking about how excited they are for it. And the one word that was thrown a lot from a lot of women I was talking to in the line was hope. They were like, I hope that this does well. I hope it's good because if it's not, we're probably not going to get another one. And sadly, I think that's that that's true, I think, because, it, again, as you mentioned, it took 70-plus years since 1941 to finally get this far and this is there's a lot riding on this, if, whether it's fairly or not. You know, the whole DCEU thing was riding on Wonder Woman, how good it is. Uh-huh. And could she write the ship for this whole universe? But that was just a big thing going in. And then going out of the theater, the, the one word I will say that came to my mind was triumph. I saw a lot of women happy, cry, happily crying, hugging one another, just so proud like they had a standee of wonder woman in the lobby of the theater i was at and just the line of people there the women who a lot of people you know they do the 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 cross with the arms when they pose but a lot of women were hugging the standee and it was just thank you and i was seeing just the tweets people just thanking Paige jenkins and saying thank you i mean i saw you know a comedian milan von trube i saw a video of her that really really touched me emotionally where she was just talking to Paige Jenkins at a, it was a YouTube event and she was talking about how she was, wasn't a comic book reader, but the film just touched her and moved her in a way that she was in tears. And she was telling Paige Jenkins this and just that visual of just warmth and, and, and triumph and love and emotion, just raw emotion shows how important this character is for just Everybody and just for a lot and, and women in general and just how important she really is to not just I would say nerd entertainment and comics, but just to a lot of things, man. I want to talk to you about dates right now. Of course, first appearance in 1941. First cover didn't happen until 1942. Of course, we know that was, you know, Sensation Comics number one. But let's talk about an even bigger gap. Let's talk about the gap to 1975. Yes. Her first appearance on television. Of course, you know, she was in the Justice League from 1960, so you want to throw that gap in there as well. Then, of course, she had the Super Friends. She was a part of that. Then let's talk about the TV series that never happened in 2011. First appearance on film in a movie was not until 2016 in Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and she wasn't in it much. And now, finally, her first solo movie in 2017. I want you to think about, for a character that has forever been the part of the Trinity for DC, think about that gap in time that started in 1941 all the way now to 2017. If there was ever a character of any description that deserved to finally have the spotlight of a feature film, it is Wonder Woman. Why did it take this long? We won't get into all that stuff, because that is a huge discussion, and and we've actually had it before on this show. But I'm just glad that we've finally reached this point for a character that should have reached this point long ago, but, you know, maybe there is a reason it took this long. Because... We got the right person for the job. People right. for the job. Exactly. Exactly. And and I will piggyback on what you just said about that. You know, there was just a huge gap. And I think going back to the Linda Carter series really was when I think Wonder Woman, of course, truly hit the mainstream because that was when she was on television, you know, and, and, and 
I think that really for people who didn't read comics at the, t- the time, it really opened the door in a lot of different ways for a lot of different things. And again, as you mentioned, 2016, there, she was not in a movie, a, a live action, big blockbuster movie until 2016. And it's just one of those things where we talked about this off air. I think years from now, we both think years from now, we're going to be so thankful that Batman versus Superman was as critically decimated as it was by just critics and people. I know I was one of those people because if that didn't happen, Warner Brothers would not more than likely not have had that major shakeup, which would have led to Jeff Johns being the head of the DCEU, which would have led to Patty Jenkins being hired to be a director of Wonder Woman. And there was, of course, remember, she wasn't the first choice. She was right. the second choice. The reason why she got hired was because the first director wanted to put in an idea where, oh, let's give Diana a talking tiger. And it was basically it was basically to the point where it looked like she wanted to do a lot of stuff that was non-canon. Right. And, and, and of course, John stepped and said, no, we want to make this faithful. We got to do this the right way. Brings in Paige Jenkins, who was, of course, did Monster, which was an $8 million Oscar-winning film. Just a perfect perfect choice and you read about all the stuff she talked about how she didn't want to make this rated r how she wanted to make this to where you know kids could go see this movie and i will say this if you want to take your kids to see this if i would say because of certain scenes remember this takes place in world war one take your 10 year olds to see this if they're younger than that i think there are some scenes that might be a little bit too strong for them but Overall, again, it's your choice as a parent to do what you will. But I think that if you're 10, you if you bring a 10-year-old to this, I think they will get a lot more understanding, a lot more just enjoyment out of this in general. Because, again, it's World War One, just certain themes, stuff like that that happens. I think that this is perfect for a 10-year-old. I want to throw out, going back to the comics for a little bit, I want to throw out a few names. I'm going to start with George Perez, who kind of gave Diana that muscular Amazon look for the first time, really got into the Amazon heritage, and then Jim Lee for redesigning the costume years later. And then Greg Rucka, who not only has done a great job with Wonder Woman recently, but also in the first run that he had writing for, for Diana, just doing a fantastic job. And I also want to point out something that a lot of, a lot of people might not know was that one of the co-creators of Wonder Woman was a psychologist. Right, but so here's think the, about that, you know. But here's but here's the thing, though. You, the Wonder Woman, even though she is such a strong character, if you go back to her earliest days, it was very BDSM. I mean, that's what people a lot of people talk about. Like it's very BDSM. Like her, like literally, her weakness was if you tied her arms together, if you crossed her gauntlets and tied them together, she was basically you could not could not move or anything basically. So it was very weird very bdsm like in the beginning but you look at that those beginnings and see where she is now with greg rucka and going forward with shea fontana just this this warrior i mean going back even to the finch run a, a year or so ago with you know when she became the god of war and she had to split that time of do i spend you know now that i'm the god of war do i focus on earth and the justice league or do I focus on Themyscira and the, the these realms and the stuff like that, being this new position of God of War and being queen and stuff like that? So really, she's had her ups and downs and just amazing. I think her storytelling, is, as especially lately, has been phenomenal. The art direction has been phenomenal. I mean, you want just a character that people can look up to and you know even whether you're a man or a woman who matter who you are you look at diana prince you look at wonder woman she is everything that is supposed to be right and good and true in this world she is and when you're when you're staring at darkness she is that one character where you spend some time whether it be with a book whether you whether it be with uh, the movies you know, animated and live action, a TV show. You look at how true and how just wonderful and, and, and light she is as a person in terms of just erasing that darkness. I think she is probably the most impactful character in terms of that. 
and I will throw. I, I don't want to forget Nicholas Scott and and Liam oh, Sharp God, in this discussion yeah. as well because of bringing out the vulnerability and, and Diana and, and the trueness that they've brought to her comics recently. I think that that's really really important because it's an important part of her story that we don't normally get. I mean, you want to talk about other comic runs too. I mean, think about like we had we actually had a Atlanteans versus Amazonians run in, in a right. Justice League comic at one point. So I mean, we've had some very very impactful stories from from Wonder Woman and her Rogues Gallery. It doesn't it almost doesn't get much higher than Ares. And then of course, you know, you throw Cheetah in there and then you get Circe, Doctor Psycho, even I'll throw Giganta in there as well. Why not? Dr. Cyber. Yeah, she's got a pretty damn good rogues gallery as it is. And then her story is directly tied to Argus, too, which is a huge part. If anything, it's 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 Wonder Woman and Diana Prince that makes Steve Trevor, not the other way around. Exactly. I mean, think about that in in even in the era in which it was presented and and. From where she started, like you said, to where she is now, it's almost like we find we got to where we had to, we got to where we should be. It just took a little longer than you would think, but we're there, and that's what's important right now. Exactly, man. And I think that you know, going forward with Wonder Woman, especially as of recent, because of course you had the movie, but remember, Injustice Two came out, and she's part of that. She's a major part of the Injustice Two story, and. It's just to be able to, to I'm not gonna lie, man. Be able to play as one woman in a video game is awesome because you get that just just the abilities. You get to, you know, if, here's the thing: we don't have a, a, a magic lasso that that has people tell the truth. You know, it doesn't exist. But in a game, when you go like down back circle and you can throw that lasso at people and yeah. throw them. It makes you feel fucking powerful, man. I like the sword too. Like even in Fuck Justice yeah. One, and when I will tell you, Themyscira was one of my favorite settings to play in. Oh yeah, in Justice One. So I loved that, and I thought that they did a, a great job with it too. But you just think about, I, and it's and it sucks because you almost kind of over time you forget about how great she has been over yeah. the years, and you can attribute that to whatever you like, but you, you almost forget about that. Yeah, and man. You see it now where she is. It's like, wow. Once you put it in perspective, she's she's on the rush Mount Rushmore, man. Okay, so I want I want to do this. Even though I have seen the movie, what I'm not gonna ask you your biggest hopes for the film because we'll get into more into that going into next week going to review. You're seeing this with your wife. What is your biggest hope for her when you go see this? Well. My wife is a very strong and badass woman, and I think that that's exactly what she's hoping for in this movie because, I mean, Gal Gadot, she loves her anyway. She actually, that was one of her favorite parts about Batman, maybe her only favorite part about Batman versus Superman were those scenes with with Wonder Woman and stuff like that. But I, I can tell you that my wife doesn't get excited for movies a lot. She hasn't been this excited to see a movie like this since the first Hunger Games movie. So I'm hoping that for her, it lives up to all of those badass expectations that she's hoping for. Not only that, but this is like, I think the first time in a long time where she's told you to pre-order tickets for a movie. And I normally do not do that. I mean, sometimes I'll go the day we're going to see it. I'll go in the middle of the afternoon and get tickets for a later showing. I got these a week in advance. So, yeah, that she never asked me to do that and never asks me multiple times to do that. So, yeah, she's really looking forward to this. So I really hope it lives up to the expectations. And, and yeah, I hope it lives up to my expectations, too. But I kind of already figured I was almost going to love it by default <laughs> just because, you know, I'm still the D.C. guy at heart. Come on. I'm, I'm never going to just that's never just going to go away from me. You know, those right. are the comics that I that I grew up with the most. So, and wonder woman was a big part of that. So I can't just let that go. So I'm just, I'm just hoping that it lives up to those expectations of everything that I've heard so far. It's gonna. So you think we're going to see a, uh, am I going to see a Facebook post of come Halloween of your wife as wonder woman, you as Steve Trevor. Oh, I could see that happening. Yeah. yeah I could see that happening. Why not? What would the baby be? Ooh, I don't know, the clay where it starts. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, wouldn't he be the clay where it ends? Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like, that, that's if, a good question, though, because... If, if you're anything, if, if anything, you're Zeus and she's Hippolyta. True. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm going to have to really start working out if I'm going to do the whole juice <laughs> thing. And, I, I mean, I could pull off the beard. I got that. But, right. Uh, wow. Or he could be Aries. Yeah, why not? He He's very uh, – <laughs> he, he knows how to battle. We yeah. Do that. Trust me, he's punched me before. He can fight. <laughs> he headbutted me the other day, so he's got good survival instincts. Yeah, man, but I'm just so happy for just – I'm between us all the time. I'm just so happy for women everywhere to finally have a movie of their own, you know, and, and just say, hey, we have a, a movie now with a badass, strong – female character lead character and just you know a, a woman at the helm directness i think it's just so important because you know you want representation and stuff like that in in films in hollywood and it's just you know i think my biggest hope for all along for this film was just that it opens the door for more female stories to be told and more storytellers to be able to come out and just tell their stories and and, and, and be more accepting you know in terms of you know bringing them on to tell these stories and I think that looking at Wonder Woman, it's time. Like it was, it's been time. And part of me, you know, you look at at movies in the past, like Catwoman and Elektra. Part of it is I know there's that gap, but part of it's kind of like, do things happen for a reason? In terms of of you know, now we have this this. You know what I'm saying? Like back oh, yeah. in the, back in the early 2000s when these movies were released, a lot of superhero movies weren't the best back then. You know, yeah. so. If you think about it, if we had a woman Wonder Woman back then, how good would it possibly be? But really, that's more of just oh, we won't don't really know because it it didn't happen, and now we know it's happening, and it's just it's time, you know, it's 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 about time we got this. And th- sometimes things happen for a reason, and perfect. Th- and sometimes a lot of times when they happen for a reason, they're perfect for that reason. I mean, this movie already is tracking for a ninety-five to one hundred million dollar opening, man. So I think that overall. This is just an exciting time to be a comic book person and be a woman just to be, you know, in terms of, and just because you have this entertainment that's here for you. And it's just, it, it's so great. Like, it's awesome. Man. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to see this because it's so, such a huge movie. I'm probably going to see this three more times. I'm going to say this. It's going to sound corny. I'm happy for Diana. Yeah. I'm oh, happy. God, I'm happy for Linda Carter because without her, man, I, I don't know if we're here. Uh, so I'm happy for her and thanking oh, yeah. her for all that hard work to pay it off. I'm, I'm thankful for everybody who's contributed to the evolution of this character over the years. And I'm happy for us, man. I'm happy for us as fans that we finally get to get the true adaptation of Wonder Woman that we've always deserved. I mean, she's they've had some very good animated movies. Those have been good. She's been good in other cartoons. She's been good in comics. She's been good on TV. But you know what? The, the pinnacle is always that feature movie with your name on it she's finally there and i'm happy for that yeah man i mean I, i'm finally happy that, that she's there and and again it, it's great to just see that and again to be a fan is wonderful and again and going to people you know, mention people who we've talked about people who have evolved her but let's also talk about real quick the people who have preserved her in terms of just that 77 wonder woman so i'm talking about andy mangles and what the work he's been doing yes. with wonder woman 77 meets bionic woman i you know Never forget your past in terms of just that Linda Carter, you know, and, and stuff like that. Remember how he said, he goes, Linda Carter made women want to be her and made men want her as a mother. Like, and, and it just shows how important she is, man, as a, as a, as an actress, as a figure, as a role model, and just as Wonder Woman, you know, because it was just her being Wonder Woman is something that is so Something that will live on forever. You know, we talk about Leia and, and, and Carrie Fisher. It, and that's the thing. You know, I talk about – I look at, 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 at actors and just characters who are important for various types of reasons. My top two, possibly top three, Wonder Woman and Leia are my top – are up there, man. Because oh, they're, totally. they're, they're in my top three because of just what they stood for, who they were, and the, the women that played them and how they just – took those roles and not only made it theirs, but just showed 
the, the positivity that can be had in this world and, and just how and the strength of character. And it's just important that in this day and age that people have that, you know? Yeah, I want to throw on Mark and Draco, who does oh, the yeah. 77 run for DC or, or did and, and put him his name in there up with Andy Mangles for that very reason that you just mentioned. And, and just so many people that wanted to make sure that this was done right. And you're right, it, it took way longer than it should have, but now I think we're seeing that there was a reason for that. Yeah, and again, I think that when people see this movie, it's just, again, it's, it's going to be hard for, I think, for a lot of people to not leave the theater crying. You know, it's it's going to be really hard. I think you might do it. I'm calling you. I think your wife's going to do it, man, because it's just, again, it's just that, that moment of, of triumph. And being there and seeing that really makes this film, really makes this character even more important. It really gives you an even bigger sense of just how major this thing is. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And, hey, if you want more of us, you want give us your thoughts on the one one, one movie when you see it, Hit us up, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter, at downnerdy757. You want to tell us individually what you thought of it? You can hit me up, at Merck with one arm. And James, where can they hit you up? At James A. Switham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M on Twitter. Of course, you can always find us, too. You can contact us at downnerdypodcast.com. There's a contact us section on there. You can use that. And we'll throw up a bunch of links for all kinds of Wonder Woman stuff. You know, the Linda Carter series and a whole bunch of stuff that you can get from our Amazon store as well at downnerdypodcast.com. And I'm not going to close this the way I normally do with my usual phrase. What we did was because this is such an important episode to us, especially talking about Wonder Woman and just her overall importance and what she means to so many people. We went and reached out to people both within the entertainment industry, within the comics industry, and even fans of the character as well. And we had them call us on our hotline and say what Wonder Woman means to them. So in closing, here are some thoughts of what Wonder Woman means to so many people. Hey guys, it's Teeny Howard. To me, Wonder Woman's a part of the trendy, the beating heart of DC Comics and comics in general. And to me, my favorite thing about her is when Darwin cooked her, her, she was always taller than Superman. My name's Liam Sharp. Uh, I draw Wonder Woman. What I found out about Diana is you don't just draw her, you fall in love with her. Uh, she's just so rich. I mean, she just has this beautiful, rich world of, of science fiction and fantasy and mythology. Um, but on top of that, she's unusual in that she... It's not all about the fighting with her. It's about uh, empathy and care and uh, compassion. And, uh, you know, that's the, 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 the sort of fighting aspect is the, is the last aspect. Not that she can't create quite a mess when she needs to. You yeah, know, she's very, she's very special.